Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We have a story toward the end of Mark's gospel. This is a turning point. Jesus has been operating his ministry around the Lake of Galilee, and uh, much has happened there. But now he has made the announcement that he's heading south, he's going to Jerusalem. And he has said not once or twice, but three times at least recorded here by Mark, that the Son of Man there will suffer many things, will be taken, will be killed, and on the third day will rise again. Mark is a gospel where we find the twelve, the disciples of Jesus, uh, really confused all the time. And they have not taken to this message at all. But maybe they are starting to get it with this third time. Because right before this passage, it mentions that as they go toward Jerusalem, Jesus is out in front. And the disciples and the other followers are concerned and alarmed, and they're just behind him. So they know that something is happening. And they're not far from Jerusalem, because it says they came to the place of Jericho. This is the New Testament Jericho, not the walls came tumbling down one, although archaeologically they always want to know more about that. But this was the Jericho mentioned in several places in the New Testament. And when the Greeks were in charge, they'd set up a fort there because this is a rather important strategic final stretch of road into Jerusalem. It's up just north of the uh, Dead Sea, very close to the Jordan River, and it's just 12 miles to Jerusalem. So something is going to happen. They're going about the time of the Passover. So there are many traveling the roads into Jerusalem. Those who could afford to go would go. And those who could not, the best they could do was to stand alongside the road and kind of cheer and wave and uh, participate in the pilgrimage to Jerusalem just by seeing the people that are going. And certainly this would have been the case for Bartimaeus because he's blind. He can't see the road and he can't walk the road and he can't afford to go on the road because he makes his living by begging. And so you might think this is a pitiful person indeed, blind and by the road and begging. But two things will surprise you about Bartimaeus. First of all, that he does not behave like a defeated person, at least in the way that he takes courage to call out for help. And really, even his name, and I really should have had a conversation with you, Father Wismer, before I got into this, because I, because I couldn't find any Greek connection here, but 
His name, Bar Timaeus, means son of Timaeus. And the name Timaeus sounds so much like some of the Greek words that we find in the New Testament for tamao or, or honor, to honor, to regard, to give reverence, to acknowledge the status of, to give aid to, or the noun there, timae, to honor, respect, recognition, price, value. Also, there's a word, timios, precious, valuable, of great worth. So what an irony for him to be the son of value and acknowledgement and honor. And yet this is his station in life, to sit by the side of the road. There's something about Timaeus, at least in, in the way I view him in this story, that makes me think he knows who he is by his name. Because this confusion it, and, and fear is all in the part of the people on the road following Jesus. They're the confused ones. They're the, the worried ones. And Bartimaeus is the one who, when he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth that is walking, he starts shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody says to him, be quiet, hush. This is the important teacher. He's teaching us. He's on the road. He's going somewhere important. Hush, you're disturbing things. I embellish. And what does Jesus do? He stops. And this is what I want us to hold today. Bartimaeus has named his desire to be helped. And Jesus stops. Call him here. And so then they start picking on him in the other way. Get up. What's the matter with you? Get up. He's calling for you. Go over there. And he does. Not timidly. But he throws off his cloak. He rushes. He springs up, the translation is, and he rushes to Jesus. And Jesus says, what is it you want me to do for you? Hadn't he already asked James and John the same thing? But they wanted power added to power. He listens. Teacher, he says, I want to receive my sight again. And Jesus says, your faith has restored you. And immediately, it says, he gained his sight and he followed him. Now, Contrast, if you will, the difference between the discouragement of the crowd and the encouragement of the Savior. They, they had made a habit of it, at least in the way Mark tells the story, of discouraging the wrong people and encouraging the wrong people. I believe it was uh, John who came to Jesus and said, there's some people out there and they're healing people in your name and they're not even part of our group. And Jesus says, don't stop them. Anybody who's not against us is for us. 
It was uh, the crowd that, uh, that saw the moms and the kids wanting the kids to come to Jesus. And they said, get those kids quiet and away. And Jesus said, let the children come up here. And he blesses them. And now it's the crowd that's saying, why don't you be quiet? You're messing things up. And Jesus says, call him over here. There's really kind of a, a pattern here. And it's a pattern, you know, I want to take into my life. It's a pattern I want us all to have in our life. The notion that Jesus wants to know. Well, as I said, is Jesus and it's Bartimaeus that seem to know who they are and where they want to go. What they want for their lives. In the case of Jesus, he's been called by lots of different titles. He heard a, a, an evil spirit that had tormented a man uh, call him, you know, the Jesus, the, the Son of God. He'd heard the voice of the Father at his baptism call him his beloved Son the one who is to be listened to. He has uh, been called good teacher by the man who wanted something from him. He's, of course, called Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he is from. This is a man late in this gospel who calls him the son of David. So if everybody's nervous that Jesus is going to the city where the prophets are all killed, and they, now they hear him being associated with a messianic title, the son of David, the one in the line of King David, the one who will be the new anointed, the one who will carry on that kingship, this is, to them, probably just the wrong time for him to have that title associated with him. In fact, even Jesus was more secretive earlier when he healed a blind man earlier in the gospel. He takes him outside of town and heals him there and says, now don't talk about this with anybody. But now he's doing this healing of sight in front of everybody. And he hasn't scolded him for calling him the son of David. He's going to Jerusalem. And this priest king, as we have come to know Jesus, is moving into that prominent role. You remember from the epistle that was read that this Jesus was the one who would offer a sacrifice that would not be offered over and over again like all high priests back into antiquity, but would be the one who would offer himself once for all. One sacrifice that did the whole work for all time, for all people. It will be a dangerous trip and it will be a dangerous destination. But Bartimaeus has jumped up. 
He has regained his sight, and he has joined the pilgrimage, and he's on his way. Danger or not, he is on his way. Now, can we understand Jesus to be the one who hears what it is we want and has the power to bring us through? Is there anything that we want? Is there anything that we need? I think in all people's lives, they would, they would see times of blessing when things were just really going well. And they think, I can't think of a single thing I need. But our need is always to be faithful, yes? There are other times in our lives, and this is everybody, where despite the appearances of needing nothing, there are things that we need. There are little places of, of darkness and blindness and helplessness. Maybe sometimes we are that person on the sidelines, beside the road, in the dirt. Can we give ourselves the courage to ask for help from the anointed one? Can we trust the fact that he will stop and hear and relieve? I loved this paragraph from a Stephen Charleston who communicated beautifully on this point. We have all been to dark places, that shadow land just next door to what we call reality, where clarity is lost and where doubt dwells. We are uncertain what tomorrow will bring, if tomorrow can come at all. The dark places can appear slowly or suddenly, but either way, they cover us with a fog of doubt, leaving us feeling alone. It's at this moment that faith becomes our compass, for it reminds us that darkness is only a detour, never a destination. These small corners are not the true landscape of our lives. They cannot contain the power of love. We have only to listen to our heart. We have only to listen. The Spirit calls for us until we find our way out of the dead end of worry and back to the broad and bright streets of hope. So put yourself in that moment where you're calling out. You haven't listened anymore to those voices of discouragement. Oh, don't bother God with that. He's doing something. No. Ignore those voices. Cry out to the Lord. He will stop and hear and relieve you. And back you'll go on the road with him, come what may.